0: Welcome to the Golf Week Raider podcast. This is our first recording on the StreamYard platform, and by the time you hear this, our conversations and interviews will be available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a nice step forward for our golf architecture coverage, and we're excited to use this medium more in 2021. It's December 29th, 2020, and a strange and difficult year is coming to a close with a bright ray of hope for a future free of the coronavirus. I count myself as fortunate to have had Golf Week and its Raider program as a stress release. On behalf of all the Raiders, a sincere thank you to Armin Cimaroli and Diane Murator for their efforts at keeping our retreats rolling as best as could be hoped for in the face of the pandemic. The week between Christmas and New Year's is always a reflective time, and best of and year in review content proliferates around this time as well, and that's exactly what this is. I'm joined by my fellow panelists David Normoyle and Jay Blasi to conduct a year in review for the Golf Week Raider panel. Welcome, guys.
1: Thanks so much, Tom. Look forward to joining you today, and happy holidays to everybody. Same, pleasure to be with you. Look forward
0: to it. So, uh, what we decided to do for this uh, this session is uh, we came up with a bunch of categories um, to kind of evaluate some of the courses that we saw over the course of the year, uh, both within our travels for Golf Week and our personal travels as well. Um, and so, let's just get started. I mean, we've all sort of given these a little bit of thought over the past week, and we can just kind of go around the horn on some of these. Uh, so, you know, I, I always think uh, when we're, you know, looking back on the course of a year, uh, I, al- I always love to think about my, my best first time play. What is the course that, um, you know, that just really resonated with me the, the most, having seen it for the first time? Um, David, why don't we start with you?
2: Sure. For me, uh, well, the answer is Sand Hills, Nebraska. For 15, maybe 20 years now, uh, Sand Hills had been at the very top of my list, not a sort of a bucket list, but more my education as a golfer, because I felt like there are certain places in the game where, without having been there, there's something about golf that you just don't know or can't possibly understand. And for me, Sand Hills was very much in that category, and it was only confirmed when I got there. Uh, and I think why it was so important is because it makes so many things that came after it possible. Not only is it fun to play and good architecture and all that, but it really is the change uh, in the direction of the game. And it's not very often that you get to experience those. So for me, Sandhills kind of filled out what I have come to think of as my holy trinity of golf. For a long time I had, National Golf Links and St. Andrews is, is my two favorite courses, and it always seems strange to put one above the other. That didn't seem quite right. Uh, neither was better than the other, but neither was secondary either. And I think with Sand Hills, I came to understand a, a completeness to it because in St. Andrews and in National Golf Links, and now with Sand Hills, I think you have the most important and the most representative courses of their particular centuries. So we think about 19th century golf, Sand Sand Hill, excuse me, St. Andrews is the defining course for the world in the 19th century. To me, National Golf Links of America is the defining course, at least in America, for the 20th century, because everything that came after it was either a confirmation of its ideas or a rejection of its ideas. And I think that in time to come, Sand Hills is going to be the most important course of the 21st century because of how it returned to a natural approach to architecture, destination golf, and everything that comes along with it. So for me, Sand Hills was absolutely the highlight first visit of the year.
1: David, uh, obviously you were aware of Sand Hills uh, prior to, to visiting and playing it. I'm sure you were familiar with you know, the, the routing and had seen so many photos and knew others who had been there. What, uh, what, what did surprise you upon uh, getting the chance to be there and experience it for yourself? What were, what were the things that were as you thought they would be and what were the things that were maybe different than you thought they would be?
2: Well, the strange thing for me was considering that a golf course that opened in 1995 could make a legitimate claim to being the oldest golf course in the world. It was kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> because truly it's the land has been there for thousands and thousands of years and it's not useful for anything other than pastures for cattle. And as we've come to find out playing golf, I think the bigness, the scale, the quietness coming around the corner for the first time after the, the one mile cart ride from the main lodge, uh, and seeing this expanse of holes just draped on the landscape, um, Profound and emotional for me to think that I've finally been there. And that, and that, you know, you, you go on uh, social media and various places to discuss the game, and inevitably the game is surrounded by man made creations. It's part of it. I mean, you can't think of Los Angeles Country Club without thinking of the skyline that surrounds it. But yet there's one man made creation at Sand Hills, and it's Ben's Porch, and it's all you see. It's so simple, it's so humble, and, uh, it's so perfect. I just, to me, everything was in balance. Um, and, and it also confirmed for me that being stewards of a piece of land golf gets a bad rap sometimes, but actually golf can be a great steward of a piece of land when done right. And Sand Hills sets that model, which is why I think as we look forward to the 21st century of golf land stewardship is going to be, if not the single most important part of the game going forward, one of the the small handful.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I think that a handful of courses like, like Sandhills. uh, I mean, Sandhills almost has a claim as a, as a links in the sense that it was the bottom of the seafloor before the Rocky mountains were pushed up. You know, it's, I mean, it, it is, you know, it's, it's the, it's the bottom of the ocean floor. It's deposits of sand in those sandhills. Now is, you know, is it land, is it traditional links land like Scotland, Ireland? No, of course not. Uh, But when you get out there and you see those oceans of dunes um, it's really a a, a remarkable, just the whole Nebraska sandhills and and the drive out there uh, where you just see golf holes uh, from North Platte all the way up there. Uh, It's a remarkable journey. So that's, that's exciting, David. To see that for the first time this year.
1: For the, for those who haven't been there, it is uh, you know Tom mentioned the journey from North Platte to Sand Hills, and and you see these these sand dunes and and you swear that over the next dune is going to be the ocean. You know that you're in the middle of uh, Nebraska, in the middle of the country. You know it can't be, and yet uh, with each mile that you travel closer to Sand Hills, the dunes kind of get Bigger and bigger, you start to see some sandy blowouts, and you're convinced that if I can just get to the top of that next dune, that's what—that's when I'll see uh, see the sea, <laughs> and and uh, and you don't see the sea, but you, you find the golf course.
0: Jay, what was your favorite first time play for 2020?
1: Well, in the spirit of our uh, classic and modern, I'm going to hedge. <laughs> I'm going to do one of each. Uh, on the classic side, I will do uh, Old Town Club uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, this, uh, like David mentioned, this had been high on my list for a long time. Uh, and we had our Pinehurst Architecture Summit in November, and that gave me the opportunity to get up there. Uh, one of our raiders, Dunlop White, uh, was kind enough to, to host and, and share a bunch of uh, stories and, and the backstory to the work that's been done at the club. Uh, fabulous Perry Maxwell layout that uh, has some unbelievable terrain um, and just a place where um, you feel comfortable from the moment you arrive and each, each person that I've met said gosh this is this is what I want a club to be this is where I would want to spend my time this is how it should be and you know the architecture of the golf course was just spectacular. It's some pretty dramatic terrain, a, a, a wonderful routing that takes full advantage of the natural features. The club's done a fantastic job over the last, uh, decade or so in terms of opening up the property and getting it back to maybe what it was. Corin Crenshaw come in and, and helped lead a, uh, a restoration of the features there. And so really, really dramatic, um, terrain, bunkering, wonderful green complexes. You'd be happy to, to putt, chip, or putt around all day long. Uh, and so it was just a, a just a spectacular experience and, and a place you'd want to spend a lot of time.
0: So I've, I've yet to make it to Old Town. What are the greens like there, Jay?
1: Uh, well, they, they have a lot of character. Uh, they were, you know, I, for those who are big Maxwell fans and have... Um, been to prairie dunes uh you know obviously um prairie dunes greens get get talked about a lot and and they are uh in my opinion some of the very best in the country those greens have um kind of the maxwell rolls that they talk about which are these kind of up and over knobs that that really impact a lot of the um the the putts and and the shots in and around the green. These greens were a little bit different than that, uh, but they were very special in their own right. Uh, Plenty of kind of regular kind of tilt, not always back to front, could be one side to another. But then there were some uh, interesting internal contours. The green complexes fit the land really well. There's some creeks that bisect the property. And so a number of greens are, are near uh nearby those creeks and so how they work work there uh uh smaller you know one of the smaller greens with with lots of interest to them uh one of the more interesting aspects is there's a double green uh that works for um eight and 17 uh and they kind of come at it um from maybe 30 degree or 45 degree angle Uh, But it works really well. Again, that's another one that's uh, near the creek. So, um, again, these would be a a set of greens that you'd be very happy to just kind of chip and putt around all day if if you
0: couldn't play the full course. And you said you had a a modern on the list, too.
1: Yeah, well, um, we had a wonderful retreat uh, just after the 4th of July up at at Bandon Dunes. And so uh, this year they had the opening of the Sheep Ranch. Um, which is a a wonderful golf course. And and in my opinion, really an ideal complement to the other golf courses that are there at Bandon Dunes Golf Resort. Um, This, this is a a little bit North of the main Bandon property. uh, Just, just a few minutes. Uh, The the course had been played for a number of years uh, um, outside of the resort uh, with kind of a make your own routing type of situation that I think Tom, you had spent some time up there and, and really experience that to the fullest. I, I never had the chance to do that. I did have the chance to walk uh, the sheep ranch prior to um, construction. So I, I walked Bill and Ben's routing prior to the start, and so then to be able to come back and play it. Um, it's, it's different. There's no formal bunkers uh, there, and um, a number of uh, T-complexes are kind of shared and, and people – uh, veer off from that but uh, my understanding is it's the windiest of, of the five courses that are up there and so the, the course is very much geared for that very very wide fairways um, open entrance green so it's kind of built to accommodate the wind but I believe there's nine green complexes that are set adjacent to the uh, to the cliff above the sea and so they they took full advantage of the of the coastline and uh, just a, a, a great fun place to play golf wonderful architecture and and again, the ideal complement to what's already there at, at Manly
0: Dunes. Fantastic. Well, for me, my favorite first time play of 2020 was the Myopia Hunt Club north of Boston. And I almost think of it as a litmus test type of golf course. Uh, That's how strongly I felt about it. Um, in the sense that uh, it resonated with me so much, and I think for, and so deeply, uh, that I, I feel like if you don't love Myopia Hunt the way that I do, um, then maybe our tastes—and uh, this is all subjective stuff—but that our tastes are not in alignment the way that in the way that matters. Um, it is deeply eccentric and absolutely charming. From the first shot of the day, uh, you're kind of faced with a, a, a tilted brow of a hill in the near distance. Um, and it the course starts off with four straight half par holes, uh, short par 4, short par 5, extremely long par 3, long par 4 with a crazy uh, green, and I just found it completely spellbounding, and the culture of the place uh, is just, I think what a what a club should be. You know, it, it, it's it's one of these places that um, there's very little pretension. You go out, throw your bag on your back, and uh, you just explore this wonderfully textured environment. Um, I was not prepared for the amount of elevation change that the that the property features um, and just the variety uh, that's out there on display. Uh, it's a, a Herbert Leeds design um, and, you know, it's uh it's a golf course that emerged during a period when architecture was. We were still trying to kind of decide what a golf course was um, and a lot of the conventions that exist today uh, just weren't in play. And I, I, you know, I just, I love that entire aspect of, um, of, of myopia, the, the surprise, the, there were you can't even say that it was breaking rules because at the, at that point in time in the 1890s and r- right around the turn of the 20th century, there, there just weren't a lot of rules. Um, and I wish that there were more golf courses like it. I haven't seen anything quite like it. Uh, I hadn't seen anything quite like it before. And I, I, you know, it would be wonderful to see, you know, golf courses in the future be inspired by it.
2: I think what's cool about those four selections for first timers is how varied they are, because you have in myopia, a course, from the 1890s, that was arguably one of America's first great courses. You have an old town from the 1930s, what was probably the final Great course of the golden age. You have in Sand Hills from the 1990s, arguably the greatest modern course in golf. And then from 2020, this very year at Sheep Ranch, you have something that's representative of kind of this cult element of what's by far the most popular and successful golf resort of the 21st century. I mean, pretty wide and varied approach, which I think is a reminder of just how inexhaustible a subject the game of golf and golf architecture can be
0: yeah that's a that's a fantastic point david um so moving on to the uh to our next category we had uh, our what were our biggest surprises of 20 obviously the reason that we do this why we travel or fly or drive uh, whatever however we got around this country in 2020 um as experienced golfers we want to be surprised uh, and you know, I always think about, you know, what are the things that surprised us most this year? Um, so that's our next category and Jay, why don't you kick off this one?
1: Well, obviously 2020 was quite the year of surprises. So, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll stick away and we'll stay away from, uh, politics and the pandemics and we'll stick to golf. But, um, you know, for me it was Texarkana country club, um, this was a golf course that I really ha- did not know too much about prior to this year when all of a sudden some uh, historical photos started being posted on on social media. And uh, one of our Raiders, Michael Wharton Palmer, is, is, a, is a member there, and I met him last year and he was telling me about it. And so um, I happened to be in, uh, in Texas and I uh, made the three or four hour drive over there to to check it out. And I was excited to see it based on some of the old photos. Um, And, and it's just an absolutely magnificent little place. So Texarkana is on the, on the border between Texas and Arkansas, kind of um, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, And, and the the town is is, um, you know, like so many kind of Midwestern towns that, uh, that probably have seen better days. And yet here, Uh, amongst all of it is this just breathtaking, beautiful uh, Southern golf club. And so whether it's the, uh, the charming little clubhouse or the grounds, um, even the, even the little entry drive is special. And then, then you get out on the golf course and the terrain, it's a perfect golf course to walk, um, you know, gently rolling terrain with some tall pines, um, and and just really interesting architectural features uh green complexes some of which had, had, had been worked on uh, were really just excellent but the surfaces themselves have all sorts of movement and interest that wasn't over the top but was really interesting and compelling um uh, so uh just just you know I, I went in with some uh decent expectations but but really came away um uh, just blown away at how good it is and 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 having said that i i think there's even potential there's kind of some low-hanging fruit to even take it to another level and so hopefully uh in time the 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 club will 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 go that direction and and make it even better but uh for anybody who gets a chance to to seek that out uh, I, i would check
0: it out special place now texarkana is a langford and moreau design is that right jay it, it
1: is. And, and, you know, I grew up in Wisconsin and, and perhaps their, their best known golf course is, is Sonia which is open to the public and, and in central Wisconsin. Um, and, and, at Lasonia the, the landscape uh, again, is, is fairly gently rolling terrain, but, it, but it's open. And so there's long views across the property. And, uh, for those who aren't too familiar with Langford and Moreau's work, um, um, reminiscent of some of the other architects of the early 1900s kind of has a little bit more of an engineered look kind of big fill pads for the greens and things like that. Um, at Texarkana, um, because the landscape is so different, there's, there's tall pines and there aren't a ton of kind of long views across the property. It, it has a very different feel from Lasonia and the, the, those features are still there, but they, they, tend to hug the ground or or tie into the land and don't stand out as as boldly uh, but they're equally compelling
0: well for me i didn't have a ton of surprises in 2020 uh in the sense that my expectations were usually met or surpassed by most of the courses that i played and um i had a pretty good i felt like Things were aligned with my previous expectations. One course that that surprised me to a, to a certain extent uh, was uh, the was one that I played on on the last retreat that I hosted in 2020, which was down to uh, Reynolds uh, Reynolds Lake Oconee. Uh, I guess that's east of Atlanta, about an hour east of Atlanta. Uh, and the Great Waters course uh, is a Nicholas design that impressed me and and uh it has been completely rebuilt by the company uh in I believe 2018 and 2019 uh and I was I was surprised by the overall quality of the property actually um there are all of these fingers of land uh that that get out into the lake and you know the almost the entire back nine is interacting with the lake in different ways. Um, you know, par fours with, with greens coming out to a point, um, par threes, obviously crossing it to a, to another place, um, you know, stuff running along the side of it the lake is used in a lot of interesting ways down there. Um, and it, it it's, uh, it had some pretty good variety and some decent character. Um, you know, that was a course that I, I was expecting kind of a resort course and, uh, I've found something more than that. Um, there's some some good drama and action, on certainly on the back nine out there. David, what about you? Uh, biggest surprise of the year?
2: Well, uh, biggest surprise for me would be going and seeing Cap Rock Ranch in Valentine, Nebraska, which is a new Gil Hance and Jim Wagner course that's going to open in 2021. And uh, it was a surprise because uh, it was part of the Sandhills visit, uh, but it was part of a larger visit, driving 40 days around America earlier this summer. And just before I left, I happened to run into Gil Hans when he was working at Baltusrol on his restoration of the lower course. And he said, by the way, you really got to come see me if you're going to be in Nebraska. And I said, okay. So we had a window of just a couple of hours and somehow managed to meet surprise in the middle of the country, in the middle of this window, in the middle of a pandemic. And we went around, walked with Gil's uh, wife and daughter, this amazing piece of property, Cap Rock Ranch. And the best way I could describe it, having just come from Yosemite National Park a few days earlier, would be Like, it would be like if you could play golf in the middle of a national park on the edge of a canyon overlooking one of the most beautiful river valleys in the world. I mean, eight of the 18 holes are not just on the edge of the canyon, but practically in the 200-foot Cliff, Snake River Canyon. And then the other parts of it out in the sand hills chop are very reminiscent of what you would expect uh, in the sort of infinite nothingness of Sand Hills, Nebraska. And I think in a way it kind of does that same cool routing thing that we celebrate with Cypress Point, where it moves seamlessly from ocean to dunes to forest. Well, in the case of Caprock, it moves seamlessly from cliffs to to precipitous edges of the cliffs and the sort of forested land, and then out to the sandhills shop. And I think we're going to be hearing a lot about it in the years to come, especially the magnificent long par 3 18th hole. So that was an amazing surprise for me. I really enjoyed that.
0: David, did you make it to the Prairie Club while you were out there? I, I asked because, uh, you know, the uh, Grand Marshes course at the Prairie Club gets up pretty close to the, to the canyon of the Snake River, um, but doesn't quite interact with it in in ways that i guess what i'm imagining is hans's design at caprock doing more with that canyon than than what what occurred at the prairie club
2: i didn't unfortunately have a chance to see prairie club because of the narrowness of the visit but like jay was saying about sheep ranch with nine holes on the ocean these holes here at caprock ranch are right on the cliff over long shooting across, just dramatic golf uh, at its best, thrilling. D-
1: David, what's the what's the business model there? Is that going to be a golf course that's more of a resort and open to the public, or is that going to be a, one of these kind of destination private Destination
2: clubs? private club is my understanding. Um, I probably should ask more questions about what the model was, but I was so gobsmacked <laughs> by the golf, that's all I was focused on. But while they were there, uh, building cottages and some houses, but yeah, destination golf.
0: Well, my my favorite uh, Golf Week Raider category, uh, one of two actually, but uh, I think what it really comes down to so much for me is the walk in the park test. Uh, and so as I was coming up with some of these categories that I thought we could review, uh, you know, I, I thought let's let's talk about uh, the walk in the park, it's something that, um, you know, that I think about a lot and I'm sure and, and it's almost something that you feel in your bones when you're playing or or just touring a golf course. And uh, so I think that, yeah, highlighting our favorite walks in the park would be a, you know, a great thing to to break down today. David, do you have any any thoughts on that one? Well, I'm going to cheat
2: a little bit and I'm going to take two nine holers and I'm going to combine them together to get my 18 hole walk in the park. Um, One of them is pretty well known or it's becoming more well known, and that's Culver Academies in Indiana, which is continuing the theme of Langford and Moreau, wonderful nine hole Langford and Moreau course, part of Culver Academy itself. And I had a chance on my 40 day trip around America to walk it with the superintendent, Michael Vesley, And I like nine hole courses I have for a long time. And that day I had played the Dunes club earlier in the day and I played Culver in the afternoon and the Dunes is generally rated as one of the two great nine hole courses in America with Whitenessville being the, the classic version in Massachusetts. And I came away convinced that I, that afternoon at Culver had just played the greatest nine hole course in America. Just, uh, Spectacular! I just absolutely loved it, and um, and and it was everything that you want. And there's a theme that I think we keep coming back to, perhaps in the context of of pandemic, is it's everything you want your home course to be. It's just fun, thrilling, joyful, great. And speaking of uh, home courses, I also have to think that one of my great walks in the park was. When we were shut down in April, just my home club, a nine-hole course from the 1890s, uh, just walking either with a single club or even with no clubs, and just remembering the joy of, of golf being a place for exercise in the middle of great confusion, and that was that was a real peaceful time for me.
0: Jay, favorite walk in the park on your side. Uh, well, this was a
1: special year for me, and I, I'll have to thank David for helping to uh, arrange this. But uh, I had a chance to go and, and have a, a little golf trip. Um, we were having a retreat in Wisconsin, and I went in early and spent some time in Chicago with some friends. and Got to, got to play uh, at uh, Olympia Fields and check out uh, Beverly, where my dad grew up as a caddy. Uh, And on that trip, uh, one of the places I've long wanted to see but never had the opportunity to do it was Chicago Golf Club. And so um, David had uh, introduced me to John Moran, who uh, serves as a historian there. They were shut down and and doing some work on the clubhouse and the golf course. And so didn't have a chance to play, but the opportunity to go walk the golf course, basically with nobody out there, um, really just blew me away. You know, we hear so much about it and, and its, it's uh, place in the history of the game and in United States golf. And to be honest, I had seen and heard and, and was pre- prepared to be underwhelmed. Um, and, and that just couldn't have been further from my experience. I, I just fell in love with the place right away and uh, had a little bit more elevation change than i was anticipating which which i really liked i thought it was ideal and kind of kind of the perfect place to to walk um and just the the views across the property and then obviously the the features of 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 the golf holes were really extra special so that was that was a really special day for me
0: yeah i i haven't played chicago golf club but i've I walked it, and the superintendent at the time, uh, Scott Bordner, gave me a tour uh, along with a friend a couple of years ago, and my impression was almost as if it were, you know, a a piece of um, of Capability Brown landscape architecture. The organization of the property, and there's a sense that everything was there for a reason that it was part of a uh a composition to uh to to draw the eye in or guide the eye or enchant um i am i think i'm struggling to articulate it a little bit but uh it 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 felt like there's a there's a compositional element uh which is really when a a, 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 that's a land plan at its very best
2: and I think, uh, I think, Tom, it's a really great insight. And there's an amazing story behind Chicago golf that I don't think is fully appreciated. So it was laid out first by Charles Blair MacDonald in the 1890s. And he essentially wanted to take the model of St. Andrews and lay it out end to end, except he did it in a big rectangle. So if you look at the holes at Chicago golf in the original course and you lay them out, they look just like the routing of St. Andrews. And this is a course that hosted more USGA championships in the first 20 years than any other. Pioneers has become an anchor site of late. Chicago golf was the first anchor site. And then the course died. I mean, it literally died. And they had to figure out a way to rescue it. So the the key thing about Chicago golf club to understand is that for some reason, and it wasn't for lack of care. The greens just died. <laughs> they, they they went dead and no amount of effort, no amount of money could bring it back. And ultimately it was the leadership of Charles Blair Macdonald in the teens who said to his fellow members, guys, you have to scrap this and start over from scratch, which is an amazingly bold thing to do. And so Rainer finishes in the mid-1920s. And to me, the really important thing in all of that is the return championship golf and the USGA with the 1928 Walker cup, which had only been established a couple of years earlier at the national golf links in 1922. Its next visit was to garden city and then it came to the Chicago golf club. So for all of those reasons, Chicago golf club in 1928 was restored to its, its position in American championship golf. And it was because they had the foresight and the willingness to take a a well-established golf course and start from scratch and make it inarguably much, much better. Now, it's inconceivable to me that this could happen today, that the most important championship course in America should just be erased from the map. But that's what happened. And then in the 1920s, under McDonald's tutelage, Seth Raynor came in and completely rebuilt the golf course. So when Jay talked about the elevation changes and you talked about the, the coherence of the entire thing, well, that was Seth Rayner from Long Island. That was his introduction to the Great Plains. And at the time, there were no houses around it. There were no trees. I mean, it was vast landscape. And Raynor supposedly stood in the bell tower of the clock tower, at the clubhouse for two days, just looking at the land, figuring out in his mind how he wanted to organize as a formal land plan, this golf course. And so the result of that is very much intentional, structured, engineered and planned.
1: David, you probably will forget more about the history of Chicago golf club than the rest of us will ever learn combined. Uh, You you mentioned how crazy it is. The idea that, you know, our, our, our championship golf course for America for the first uh, 20 years of championship golf or whatever, you know, goes away. Another thing that's fascinating to me is, is when it's time to rebuild it, Charles Blair McDonald doesn't do it himself. He hands it over to Seth Ray. Uh, can you shed a little bit of light on, on, on that? And could you ever see something like that ever happening again? Well, uh, in a lot of ways, something similar did happen with
2: Baltusrol. So it had hosted a bunch of U.S. Opens and other major championships in the early days. And they decided in the teens to scrap this championship golf course. And Tillinghast came in and built two new dual courses designed to be equals one another. Um, and of course, the this synonymous nature of Baltusrol with championship golf continued after that. So but back to... Back to Chicago, it is striking that McDonald would step aside, but I think we also have to remember at that point that he was later in his career, he, he never built golf courses for profession. He did it for pleasure. And Rayner, at that point had taken over and came to understand so comprehensively McDonald's strategy that he was almost not exactly a proxy for McDonald but McDonald was confident that his ideas would be carried out better by Rayner since he'd trained him dating back to the national golf links in 1907 since he'd trained him better than anybody else. So it was a reasonably safe bet for CB to step aside.
0: Well, for me walk in the park. um, I I gave this one a little bit of thought. There were a couple of contenders um, seeing Hollywood for the first time uh, deal, New Jersey, Walter Travis, uh, wonderful design uh, was was one that I, I considered a bit, um, but the one that I keep coming back to as a walk in the park uh, is uh, Wanamoiset in, in uh, Rumford, Rhode Island. Just uh, well, it's it's in Providence, basically. And uh, I was really excited. I spent a thirty-six whole day uh, up there over the summer with a couple of Golf Week Raider friends. Um, and Providence is a city I I know really well. I went to college there. My dad's from. Uh, from Providence, went to classical high school and all that stuff. And it's just, it's a city I always enjoy visiting. Uh, I had not been to Wantamoiset before. And uh, I am, as I enter my mid 40s, I am increasingly enamored of uh, compact properties, places that are easy to get around. Uh, and what Donald Ross did at Wanam-Oyset, uh it's a, a par sixty nine on probably one. I've I, I googled it and you know somewhere between ninety and a hundred acres. Uh, it's a it's a small property, uh, and it it never feels cramped. And in fact, in places it feels quite expansive. Some of the tee shots that you see out there, um, and I just think that uh, any golfer interested in the art of routing should should try to get out there and and see Um it's it's a. It, I'm not a huge it, challenge is not a, a, or what what another publication would call uh, resistance to scoring is is not is not high on my list of priorities. But Wanamoyset is is known as a as a very challenging golf course. It's been the host venue of the Northeast Amateur for a long time, um, and I think that uh, it's it it holds up it holds its challenge exceptionally well uh, because Ross. Uh, what I see as a as a theme of so many of his courses is that he was a master of using the combination of turn points and natural natural landforms to kind of get a little bit get his holes to play longer than the yardage on the card, which is uh, I think something that you also see uh, as a common factor uh, in courses in the British Isles and from major courses to um, you know to to minor um, you know sort of heathland courses in the UK. Um they just they always you'll see a you'll see a hole that it that is 340 on the card and it plays more like 390. Um and so I you know I just think that uh the the walk in the park qualities at Wanna it, uh it's it's presented really cleanly um the marginal areas won't slow down play you're gonna find your ball advance it um, hit you know hit some really interesting shots. Um, it I think it just it has it all from from that standpoint. Uh, really first rate. Um, it's got you know kind of classical classically presented green complexes and then some quirky stuff. The tenth hole has a you know has a has a punch bowl where you you know kind of you know throw an iron shot into there and and crest the hill uh, and see see how you've done. Uh, so I was just very, very charmed by the place, um, and yeah, that was from a walk in the park standpoint. That was uh, that was a place that I you know I wanted to highlight today.
1: Tom, I think you you brought up a, an interesting point that kind of relates back to something David mentioned earlier. You talked about how uh, how impressive the routing was on the compact site, and when we think about routing, oftentimes. We think about big, expansive properties, sand hills, for example, where Bill and Ben did a great job of, of laying out a golf course, finding the golf holes, if you will. But to to your point, if you really want to study routing and getting the most out of a property, go, go find a small, you know, something 130 acres or smaller, and see how well uh, you're able to to get 18 holes to fit and and not feel like it's uh, uh, you know, military golf, back and forth, back and forth. Can, can you get variety in change of direction? And can you make use of natural features? Or are you just uh, fitting holes in there? And and something David brought up earlier about moving forward and thinking ahead and, and stewardship of the land. You know, golf courses in urban and suburban environments are our uh, are targets these days. They're, they're, the, they're the biggest parks that we have. In suburban and urban environments and with so many other stresses you know whether it's a lack of affordable housing or other things um, you know they are targets and so I think one of the things that we're likely to see and already have seen is some of those go away but others maybe shrink from 27 to 18 holes or or shrink from uh, you know 150 acres down to 120 acres and so to your point to be able to get uh, a great routing on a smaller parcel of land, I think is going to be critical uh, when you think about the next 20 years in urban, suburban golf.
0: Well, Jay, that was something that um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was really thrilled to see your work at Santa Ana Country Club in Orange County, California. Um, as, uh, as an architect, I think you really succeeded in drawing out a ton of interest on a compact property. Um, so, uh, I'd be, I'd be curious to know what you learned from the Santa Ana project about working on a, on a compact or tight site.
1: Well, one of the things that I learned a long time ago, um, was that when you have a small site and, and you're, you're routing, uh, at least for me, I start at the edges and, and that, um, you can, you can end up wasting a lot of space at the edges and so um one of the ways to be most efficient is to to play parallel to property boundaries and so um at least for me I, i i work in from the edges so i try to figure out the outside first uh and and then work from there and so um again routing is is a really really fun exercise it's it's great in different environments uh, we talked earlier about bigger sites where it's, it's trying to find natural landforms and take advantage of them. When you have a really compact site, it, it's as much about math. <laughs> you know, it really is a, a, a jigsaw puzzle and trying to find the right pieces and get them to fit in. Um, it, it almost becomes a math equation as well. And so it's, it's, a, it's a fun puzzle to try and solve. But for me, one of the things that I've found on, on tight sites is to uh, try to figure out the edges first. Uh, and you'll you'll have a little bit more flexibility in the middle if you can get the edges to work.
0: Well, Jay, what you had uh, to rewind on your comments a moment ago um, about urban golf courses uh, uh, being jeopardized in this day and age, it leads leads us naturally into our next category, um, which is the biggest disappointment of 2020. Uh, and for me, it's pretty clearly the loss of Metacomet golf club, which was the, the first half of my 36 whole day in Providence. Um, another Donald Ross course that I, I, reported on for golf week, a couple, uh, a couple of different stories, um, you know, century old players club, uh, East Providence, you know, maybe seven minutes from the campus of Brown university, right across the river, um you know a club with uh with a lot of history and to be honest a really good golf course um not quite at the level of Wanamoiset, but uh some really strong stuff out there some um some killer par threes around the turn long par threes um stuff that gets down to an inlet of the providence river that's the uh the the par five second which is kind of shaped like a boomerang where it, you kind of drive it out there and then um, figure out how you're going to get across this inlet on the second shot. Um, You know, it's, uh, it it was just, you know, well, in the story for those who didn't uh, you know, follow my reporting on it over the years is the, the club had um, had faced some financial issues and had probably, you know, it was, it was behind on its taxes and so on. And, um, uh, Metacomet is well known for being uh, one of the two clubs that uh, that Brad Faxon grew up at, and his father was a club champion, and Faxon himself is a club champion, uh, and he got together with a consortium of uh, local businessmen to purchase the club, and it was a, you know, really a good, really big feel-good story in 2018, and uh, they made a, a a bit of a go of it in 2019. And then ultimately decided to sell the club to a real estate developer, uh, which is uh, there's a there's a community group that is trying to, at the very least, keep Metacomet as green space going forward. Um, but it's it's a it's a loss uh, as a golf course. Um, and they're not making Donald Ross golf courses anymore. Um, so, you know, that's it, I was. I felt very happy to play it before it closed, and I have some some good memories of of a bunch of the holes out there. And uh, well, I- I'm just I'm sad that it's going. It deserves a better fate than to become some mixed use condoplex.
2: Well, speaking of Donald Ross, um, my disappointment, and it was really hard to answer this question because um, for a year that's been so disappointing for so many, uh, it's hard to think that any golf experience could be in any way disappointing in 2020. But I think one of the things I came back to, uh, and this is the Donald Ross connection, is I love Pinehurst. I love everything about it. But after playing number two again this year in November with, with Jay um, at the Raider Retreat, I just came to realize that there's something about the greens on number two that I find disappointing. And the reason why I find them disappointing is this. I think golf is the best and most fun puzzle to solve in the world. But one of the things we learn with uh, little kids or dogs or whoever is that when you give them a puzzle that's too easy, they solve it once and then they stop They never go back to it. But if you give them a puzzle that's too hard to solve and impossible, well, that's ultimately just as uninteresting as well. And so they stop doing that. And then golf's at its best when it gives you a puzzle that some of the days you think you can solve and some of the days you can't, but at least you've got a fighting chance. And I feel like the greens at Pioneer's number two are just so difficult and so demanding and so small and so... um, dispiriting. (laughs) But even if you're an okay-ish golfer, you really can't always hit the shot or very rarely can hit the shot that you think you need to hit. And I think because of that, I just have come to the conclusion that um, in their difficulty and in their sameness, there's actually a bit of an absence of variety in it. And I just, I love Pinehurst from tee to approach but I just feel like sometimes around the greens on number two, it's just too depressing. <laughs> and um, and it's ultimately not the kind of golf that I want to play, which is too bad for a place that I love so much.
0: Those are really interesting remarks, David. And, um, you know, I having played golf with you, I know that you're you're a very good player. Um, I had always assumed and I've, I've played number two several times over the years, both before and after the restoration uh and to be honest i'd always assume that it was just that the you know as an average golfer that uh that the greens were just beyond my pay grade um and that it was just that well tom you just you don't chip well enough and you don't putt well and you know you don't have good distance control for this stuff and that it was just okay well it's a you know it's a usga championship golf course and you know, just get better. So to, to hear that coming from you, uh, is kind of a heartening thing for me.
1: You know, David, it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I had the chance to play Pinehurst, uh, probably 20 years ago, uh, for the first time, maybe, maybe actually more like 25 or 30 years ago, um, for the first time. And that was my experience then. It was that, uh, you know, uh, I had, however, many times where I watched the ball go up onto the green, and then it fell off the side or the back or wherever, and then you you go down to chip or putt and you get it to climb up the hill, and then it comes back down, and and so, you know that happened a dozen times, and and it to your point it was it was dishearten disheartening. disheartening. Uh, when we had a chance to go around in November, that was my first chance to get back since the restoration. I had been there a few times. Uh, in between, but but not since Bill and Ben had restored the golf course. And, and I was just uh, blown away and, and and really, really fell in love with number two, particularly the routing. I I, I guess for whatever reason, I, I wasn't paying as much attention back then as to how spectacular the routing was. Um, and when we went around this time, I, I did play better this time, and, and particularly uh, short game was a lot better. But I – my takeaway this time was that there actually was more room to uh, to navigate the greens and, and to find bailouts, if you will, uh, or to try to, to try to get yourself to uh, uh, safe havens. Uh, you, you had to play conservatively, uh, which isn't necessarily fun all day long, over and over again. Um, but I, one of my takeaways this time was that what I had perceived as you know 18 turtle shells that were pretty uh tough to navigate was that there was more variety than I remembered if you think about holes like four and five they kind of sit into the the land which they're certainly not kind of turtle shell uh situations and then some others well two-thirds of the green might be turtle shell like there might be some areas where uh, you have kind of an at-grade entrance or approach and so uh, I will say that I don't know if it was Bob or anybody else, but the whole locations we had our day that we played, somebody was not happy uh, with us. And it was, it, the, uh, I wonder how much of that might be uh, whole location driven. So uh, interesting that we had so- somewhat uh, different takeaways as it relates to the Greens.
2: Yeah, one of the quotes that I love from Bernard Darwin talking about St. Andrews, which of course influences so much, uh, including Pinehurst, is he said, A game at St. Andrews is a contest of risks. Play cautiously, and you must putt like a fiend, or your score will be poor. Play bravely, and your score may be a great one, or you may be ruined." And I just am struck in thinking about Pinehurst that there's just so much ruination out there, um, whether you play bravely or whether you play cautiously, um, that uh, that is absent, I think, at St. Andrews. And um, in the an event, uh, it's a very, very, very small knit to pick uh, in an otherwise great place.
0: Well, it should be noted that when Ben and Bill uh, did the restoration at Pinehurst Number 2, uh, they did not touch the greens. Um, And I think the understanding was that, um, you know, Pinehurst had accrued some championship history at that point, in particular uh, Payne Stewart's uh, wonderful victory there in 99. Is it 99, David? 98, 99. Well, and it makes you. Yeah. 99. Uh, I I wonder if, is there a, a scenario where you could envision uh, a secondary restoration happening at, at number two? And if so, what I think one of the big challenges that comes is what period, what what era, since it started out as a sand green golf course. Um, and I know that Corinne Crenshaw used a lot of photos from the north and south uh, right around the, the time of the Second World War, maybe a little bit after the Second World War. Um, to kind of draw out that that uh, sand and wiregrass character, um, tea to green, uh, but I wonder, you know, if would would a restoration of the greens to that period be um, something that would would constitute an improvement.
2: I think this is a a situation where I turn it over to the architect in the room and and ask Jay um, what he would do because there is no one moment when Pinehurst was perfect. It's an evolution of a place as golf ought to be. And I think where it is is so, so good. But it's just – it's like the – the dial on the speaker got turned up one notch higher for me as a golfer than I'm capable of playing to, and maybe that's more a reflection of me. Who knows? But um, I don't know if there's one year. I think it's really, really darn good, but just maybe one notch on the dial less.
1: I think I think you bring up a great point there, David, and, and what, that it's something that we can we can see and uh, when we when we watch professional golf or top amateur golf the difference between you know um a good amateur which i would you know it's trending the other way but i put myself in that category obviously david you're in that category between a a good amateur and a really you know top competitive amateur or professional and particularly the difference in the short game is really um unbelievable. And so I think Pinehurst might be a a case study in green complexes that are are the right test for a professional or for a top amateur. And yet what that means is that for the 99.5% of us, the dial is turned up too much to the point where uh, we lose variety and we lose... um, our spirit you know that the, the shots become too hard and and too challenging the risk is too great for the reward and therefore you end up just in a uh, in a repetitive conservative play and you know i'll, I'll never forget when um when chambers was hosting the, the u.s open in 2015 i took a number of the pros uh, around ahead of time uh, in, during the practice rounds and tried to you know, show them lines to take off the tee or things to be thinking about around the greens. And one of the people that I took around was at the time the 15 year old amateur Cole Hammer, who plays golf at, at Texas and who uh, I, he's one of the top amateurs in the world, if not the top amateur today. Um, and he'll he'll eventually be on tour. But you know, as a 15 year old who weighed 130 pounds or whatever he did, um, you know, he was. You know, miles behind everybody else off the tee. And yet I would have put his short game up there with uh, anybody on tour. I would take him to places at Chambers and say, you can't hit a sandwich here. D- don't even think about the sandwich. You have to putt it from down here. It's it's you know the, the severity of the slope, the, the contour, the convex nature of the roll up ahead. Uh, the firmness of the greens. I know you're a sandwich guy, but you just can't do it. And he dropped three balls and hit sand wedges to a foot three times in a row. And I just said, all right, uh, you know, the game he plays is, is different than the game I thought he played. And so um, when you when you said, David, what would you do? You know, Tom, you were saying, what decade would you go to? Would you possibly do a restoration? Uh you know, so much of that depends on, on what the goal of the club or the goal of the client is. If their real, true goal is, is championship golf, then they might be just right as they are. Um, if their if their goal is is the greatest happy, happiness for the greatest number of players, then then perhaps, as you as you say, uh, a, a notch down on the dial would make life more fun for more people.
2: And with. Pinehurst being announced as the first U.S. Open anchor site, that may be your answer right there.
0: Good stuff, guys. Jay, what was your uh, disappointment of the year?
1: Well, I think David's preface was really uh, a good one. I mean, 2020 is a year where so many have been through so much, and and to think about – nitpicking golf design is is probably um, out of context but that's what we do here so um uh you know a couple things for me you know david earlier mentioned that uh, when he went to cap rock he felt like he was playing golf in a national park uh and i had the chance to to play we had a, a retreat um, in mesquite nevada earlier this year and i went over and i played wolf creek which i had seen pictures of uh, but I'd never been there before. And uh, to me, this was golf in the national park. It's this unbelievable setting of these kind of pinkish um, uh, I don't know if they're rock or sandstone uh, you know foothills it's 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 not too dissimilar from the badlands, I guess, but it's it's just these unbelievable formations of of, you know. Picture, you know, pink sandstone spikes coming out of the ground every couple hundred yards that are, you know, 150 feet tall, and, and you know you can see these landforms for for a mile in, in every direction. And so this this golf course, Wolf Creek, weaves its way through the, these unbelievable landforms, uh, and it is it's an experience that I would encourage people to uh, to take on. It's it's just very dramatic. The disappointment for me was the architecture. Uh, this this setting was so dramatic. It's as dramatic of a setting as you will play golf in. It's very different, but it's it's equally as dramatic as, as Cypress Point and and to, to David's point, the Snake River Canyon and stuff. Um, and yet the, the 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 architecture. You know, there were a bunch of man-made ponds and um, you know big white sand bunkers that didn't really have much strategy to them and, and so it just felt like for such an amazing setting um the, the 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 design of the golf course didn't match and and i hate to say that because i think the people there uh, you know probably do a good job and, and work really hard and it's it is a place that people should see but i i just wanted so much more out of that setting and then the other the other thing i would say is there were just a number of what I'll I'll call these quote signature designs that, that we saw Tom, you and I were at the the Raider challenge in Phoenix and we were down at the uh, superstition mountain. Um, I, I did a retreat down in Cabo and this, this dramatic site called Quivira, uh, which are, are branded as these signature designs. Querencia was another one, um, you know, even Blue Jack, uh, you know, some of these things that just get really hyped and branded as these signature designs. And um, the properties might be very nice. They might be expertly uh, managed and, and and, maintained to an inch of, within an inch of their life and, and really spectacular. But uh, there were just a number of different places that we visited that, that had a lot of kind of hype and PR and branding behind them. And yet, it just seemed like uh, the the details of the design were really lacking, so that was that was disappointing. Uh, but again, um, in in the greater context, there, <laughs> uh, as my former boss used to say, it's just grass.
0: <laughs> well, that that's a good good segue into uh, our next order of business, which is you know when we travel and play golf course, sometimes we don't come away with uh, a hot take after the first play. Um, And sometimes we, you know, we wind up thinking about courses and wondering, uh, feeling like we, feeling like the jury's out. Uh, And uh, one course that for me uh, really has been sticking in my head as As my jury's out selection uh, is Arcadia Bluff South in Michigan, uh, newish, newish Dana Fry design that was uh, created as an homage to Chicago Golf Club, which we discussed earlier. Um, I know I like the golf course, but I feel like I need another play to better calibrate how much. Um, I think that it's uh, it's strengths and weaknesses are somewhat readily apparent in the sense that uh, it is a relatively unremarkable property if you drive around the upper midwest you'll see a lot of farms with similar types of character um you know just looking off to the side of the road uh it's it doesn't have a lot of land movement um there's nothing going on externally there's you know as a contrast to the original course at Arcadia Bluffs, uh, it couldn't be more night and day from the the big lakefront stuff that uh, the, the, that the original course there uh, produced. Um, but there's a lot of strategy on the ground. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, the greens are really cool, um, and I think it's it's a question of I I, I want to get a better feel for how it flows. Um, I know that the the routing is tight and it's certainly walkable. Um, I felt like it it kind of slowed down a little bit in places. That I sort of lost the plot in a couple of places. Not not so much with my game, but just my mind wandered and I wasn't. Um, you know, maybe it was that the 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 types of decisions that I was being asked to make uh, were decisions that I'd made previously um, in other places. Uh, but I do come back to the the green side stuff and the the interest that that happens some fun bunker shots really uh, well constructed greens um, so I'm looking forward to getting back there I hope that we you know I hope we get the Raiders out there again and um, you know I certainly given that most people have a pretty difficult time accessing Chicago Golf Club I think uh, you know it's a it's an interesting um, interesting parallel to that so that would be a course that uh, still the jury's out for me. Um, what about you, David? What Which course is sort of hanging hanging in your head? Well, for me,
2: it's a golf course that uh, was very much beloved by many of the fellow Raiders when we went on the retreat to Sand Valley, and that was Mammoth Dunes. And for me, it's the opposite end of the spectrum from the conversation about Pinehurst. If If the greens at Pinehurst are a steady diet of nothing but raw vegan vegetables, uh, and you better like it, Mammoth Dunes was a whole lot of wonderful sugar-high cotton candy that didn't, for me, have much nutritional content. And the reason is, look, the land is cool, routing's really interesting, the shaping, the features, all that stuff's great. But it was that that upside-down salad bowl got turned the right way, which meant that no matter what kind of shot you hit, whether it was from the tea or into the green, it all sort of went to a friendly place. And while I think that that's great and it's ego flattering to me, I wanted a few more interesting questions to be asked. And I think that can happen there. Um, But, and I also understand why people love it because it makes them feel good and it's super fun and it's beautiful and it's got all the right aesthetics and all that. But for me, it just left me a little bit wanting. So maybe there's some there, there, that I'd love to see when I go back, because otherwise everything else at Sand Valley was super cool.
1: David, do you think that if, um, to your point, you know, if, if there was a little bit more interest to the puzzle as it relates to those greens, do you think that would take away from kind of the universal happiness of the golfers, or do you think that could be done in such a way that the uh, that, that the the everyday golfer still leaves on a high?
2: Well, I think hole locations definitely address that. So you can tuck the hole in, in places where it's a little bit more inaccessible on certain days. So, so that's fine. But to me, I think it's really ultimately the questions being asked off the tee. That just a few more careful bunkers in a few more places, and you feel like you're not just wailing away with driver and hitting it as hard and as far as you can, but you have to make choices, left, right, long, or short. And I think from, from the approaches in, Uh, it can be flattering and that's fine but to me the the question was too many times i would be standing on a tee and say okay what am i being asked to do and hit a variety of different shots and all of them sort of were fine and that that to me uh didn't engage me as much as i was hoping
0: yeah on my one play at mammoth dunes which was we drew a pretty bad weather day. It was heavy rain and we were out there and we, we, we got through the round, but um, it was the type of conditions where, um, I mean, for me, jury's out of mammoth Dunes just because I, I didn't get to see it in in decent weather. Um, sometimes that can really interfere with, um, you know, your ability to, to, to see a golf course. But I do remember on, on one hole, which was famous for being the, uh, the hole that came out of a, I think a golf digest design contest. It was designed by a reader of the magazine and it had a big banked slope on the right. Uh, I remember four drives, uh, all hit hard, but on wildly different lines with different shapes to them, uh, four tee shots. One, you could take two golf towels and cover the four balls. They all wound up in the same place. Um, so I definitely, you know, could see where you're coming from on, on that. On that point of view, David. Yeah,
2: short, short bar four. I think the fourteenth is what it was. Yeah, that's um, great. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: same, same experience.
0: Yeah, Jay, what about you? What was your uh, Juries Out selection for the year?
1: Well, for this one, I'm going to go with Tobacco Road again. This was a, a golf course that we played, a, a kind of an add-on to the architecture summit at Pinehurst. Um, it's a, a place that I've long wanted to see, uh, been a, a admirer of. Mike Strance's work uh, uh, had, had a chance to see and play his work at the short course at Monterey Peninsula Country Club. Uh, and and would seen uh, another golf course he did in North Carolina called Tothill Farm. But Tobacco Road was always kind of um, seen as, as Strance's um, um, masterpiece or, or at least his, his uh, coming out party, if you will. Uh, and so I was so eager to see it and, and had a wonderful day. Uh, it's a, it's a really neat place, uh, got, got its own kind of sense of place to it. Um, it's an interesting, um, history behind it with, with some ties to kind of mining operations that you can still see kind of across the road on some of the holes. And, uh, you know, it's just a, for lack of a better term, it's a schizophrenic golf course. There's, there's, there's just a lot going on. Um, all sorts of, of visual um, uh, distractions that, that I think were intended and are interesting things you just don't see day in and day out with with golf architecture in America today. And so I think that's what makes it unique and special. Uh, I liked a lot of it. There were other parts where uh, you guys just touched upon this, where a lot of balls would end up in the same spot and, and there – for uh the divot patterns, you know, from a drainage standpoint and and then just so many divots in one spot. Um, that became interesting. There were a number of holes where the the there'd be a dog leg, and the dog leg would be really sharp, uh uh just so much sharper than you would normally see. You know, if a typical dog leg is maybe at a 45 degree angle, these were much closer to 90 degree angles. And so it was somewhat interesting on a first play in that you were trying to figure out okay which line do I take and should I try to hit over some trees uh, so again it was, it was a really fun experience I, I enjoyed it I, I didn't. I wouldn't consider it uh, to be one of the, the great golf courses in America but I would certainly put it in a category where I would encourage you know if, if uh, a new golfer said hey I want to see 20 golf courses around the US that represent something different and unique this might be a golf course I'd send them to
0: yeah tobacco road I, i've my needle has moved on tobacco road for years um the first first time i played it i absolutely loved it and just i was over the moon and um i, I felt like i'd seen something i'd never seen before because i had um second play i think the shine came off it a little bit it, it played a, it played a lot slower than the first time i played it I, you know i liked the it had firmer conditions. I played it at different times of year. Uh, times of year, um, you know, playing it in spring versus kind of a wet, a wet late fall made a difference. Um, uh, it is a, uh, you know, the thing is though is that it, it, I think it it does fundamentally work. I mean, we uh, had a retreat to Reynolds Lake Oconee in December and uh, played a, a private club there called the Creek Club, a Jim Eng design, which is uh, sometimes compared to Tobacco Road. Um, and I frankly don't see that. Um, you know, I think that uh, though there's wild shaping on both golf courses, uh, one of the nice things about Tobacco Road is that uh, the routing does more or less hang together. There are a couple walks in be- from T to Green there, um, but there, you know, Strance definitely gave some consideration to producing a walkable routing there. Um, yeah, it's a it's a wild, wild, wild and crazy place. So that's uh, that's definitely a good answer.
2: So one comment on Tobacco Road, because I was there with Jay when he played is that it was a, a repeat play for me. So my needle has moved. And I think um, it's a it's a place that really does work. It's just that it didn't work for me. And I think the reason is that the kind of golf I like to play is the kind of golf that is derived from its origins. And it's a game of, to use baseball terminology, uh, bunts and singles and check swings and craftiness. Whereas tobacco road golf, every shot is a home run swing. And when you connect, it's awesome. And when you swing and a miss, it's brutal. (laughs) But for what it is, uh, it works. And if you want to go and try and hit a home run on every swing, that's the place you want to go
0: and do it. Fantastic. Well, guys, we uh, we all hosted a several retreats this year. Do you guys have any favorite favorite retreats, favorite moments um, that you uh, Jay maybe from from your travels this year? Uh, well,
1: we, uh, I was part of a number of, of retreats and, and lots of good ones, and it was really exciting to meet people from all over the country. And that's that's really the best part of all the retreats. We're very blessed to be able to go to some interesting places and see some great golf courses. But uh, meeting people from all over the country, different walks of life, and different uh, age groups and backgrounds is really a thrill. So the biggest thrill for me was meeting a lot of new people and and having good times. Having said that, uh, I I, I really had a wonderful time at our architecture summit at Pinehurst. As I mentioned, I'd been to Pinehurst before, but I had not been back since the restoration of number two. I had not seen the cradle. I had not seen the uh, redesign of number four. And so all of those... Uh, were really exciting for me to see just uh, fell in love with the, the, the restoration work at number two um, the first time I had been to Pinehurst or the other times that I had been to Pinehurst it felt sleepy it felt quiet it felt um, uh, dead isn't the right term but it just it just had a kind of um, quiet sleepy vibe and uh, this time was just drastically different. The cradle, in my opinion, has changed all of that. Uh, people are out there having fun from sunup to sundown. There's music. There's the little drink cart. And it just has a different vibe. And and to me, it's a, it's a positive vibe. They have so many courses that there's kind of something for everybody. Um, the facilities are great. They take care of them in the right way. You're treated the right way. But it just had a really fun vibe. So that retreat was special for the architecture, some of the piggybacks, Tobacco Road and Old Town, which we talked about earlier, um, but but also just the summit itself and getting to spend time with the folks at Pinehurst and some of the... David, David did the lion's share in, in organizing it with his his connections there. And it was, it was neat to hear the storytellers and the backstory from Tom Pashley. Um, and, and, and we talked to Robbie Zelsnack of the USGA and, and Bob Farron, the director of Grounds. So... Um, that, that was a fun trip for me.
2: For, for me, it was Pinehurst as well. And the simple reason, in addition to the Gulf, was the speakers that we were able to share with fellow Raiders. I mean, you have the president of Pinehurst, who's overseeing <clears throat> so much of that transformation that Jay just talked about, Tom Pashley. You had the director of grounds, who is overseeing that. 1999 US Open with Payne Stewart and then the back-to-back men's and women's first time ever back in 2014. The guy, Robbie Zalznik from the USGA, who actually runs the US Amateur Championship and talked about how, for the very first time, the final was played on two different courses, number four in the morning and number two in the afternoon. And then through Audrey Moriarty of the Tufts Archives, through Lee Pace, who's written many golf history books, and through Richard Moss, who's written a History of Pinehurst, Yet, people who spent 50 plus years of their lives trying to understand the place. And to be able to share that access to those people with Golf Week Raiders, to me, confirmed what makes the program special. And that is that we can offer to Raiders who want an education in golf, that education, by doing things just like we did at Pinehurst.
0: Yeah, I was sorry to miss the uh, the summit this year. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It, it, I think that it is the uh, flagship event, uh, and that anybody who has spent any amount of time as a Golf Week Raider uh, should really go out of their way to try to attend that event uh, at some point in their career as a Raider. Um, a lot of work goes into it, and uh, a lot of uh, institutional knowledge from uh, the speakers that uh that that we the panelists and and uh arrange uh i find that i always get a a lot out of it too i always learn so much uh from the various speakers that that we line up at that event um so I'm, i'm glad to hear that 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 was a successful summit uh for me it was a lot of driving this year it was a you know a lot of um uh, in the past, I mean, I would not hesitate to jump on a plane, obviously, and go anywhere. Uh, but when I started out, uh, and when the uh, when the spring lockdown kind of concluded in in early June, um the first retreat I hosted was was out in Michigan, and I drove out there thirteen hours um, and hosted that event. And uh, I did a lot of stuff in the car this year, and that that's what uh, will when I look back on um um, on my time with golf week that's what will define 2020 for me and on a couple of events i was uh happily fortunate that my wife and kids tagged along and um, they found things to do around the retreats Um, but for me my favorite retreat of the year was the one closest to my home in new york which was uh in new jersey uh where armand and diane set up a, a really awesome uh, roster of private clubs for the Raiders to check out. Uh, Galloway National, Tom Fazio in Atlantic City, uh, Hidden Creek, Corin Crenshaw, Hamilton Farm, Herds and Fry, uh, and kind of heading back up toward the city, and then Hollywood Golf Club uh, on the Jersey Shore, the town of Deal. And we had just had a tropical storm uh, barrel through, and uh, everything was soaked. So. You know, it was not there was no no getting around that it was August. It was hot and humid. Um, But the variety that those four four courses offered, uh, I think, was really valuable uh, for the Raiders to to experience. You know, when you when you see four courses that different uh, in such close proximity to each other, as well as in such a short amount of time as a golfer, that you can really see you know, architects working in different ways in different places. Um, I just, uh, I thought that was a really fun event um, and just got, you know, got a lot out of seeing, seeing those properties. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a big one for me. Um, so what are you guys most looking forward to in 2021? Um, you know, we've got a, we're starting to get uh, news of new events and, and, uh, thought we could end on it. We're almost at an hour and a half now. So I thought we could end on, uh, on what's going, what what we're up to going forward.
1: Well, one of the events that got, um, canceled or postponed from this year that I was, uh, most looking forward to in 2020 was a a trip to Banff. And so, uh, that's going to be rescheduled and, Hopefully with the vaccine help and whatnot, Canada will open back up uh, and we'll be able to get up to Banff. uh, I think it's August or August, September, something like that. And uh, I've been up there before. I've been to Banff. I haven't seen Jasper, um, but it's just one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And it's been so long since I've been there. And I'm I'm eager to get back and to see uh, just that that landscape up there, but also the golf courses and, and study uh, some of Stanley Thompson's work. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. Uh, that, that and a general sense of normalcy. So.
2: For me, it's the the idea, which seems impossible at this exact moment, but I'm hopeful that it will be true, uh, is getting on an airplane flying to the UK and playing Lynx golf again at some point in 2021. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like or how but it's the thing that I'm holding out hope for because uh, the idea of, of going a whole year and, and not being able to play Lynx golf uh, is a very sad one. I know that's uh, crocodile tears in, in the midst of what everybody's going through. But as as Jay said, it's what we do. is We, we talk about great golf and we try to play it. And without having Lynx golf uh, on – on the horizon for me it's a very sad thing so i'm very hopeful in 2021 that there will be lots of links golf somehow
0: some way yeah that's that's the ideal answer david hands down i mean and i think that a lot of it just comes from uh, the totality of the experience across the pond whether it's uh you know the, the the i mean i derive such pleasure from just planning something out um and then from modifying. A plan when it once it meets reality, uh, or if it, or if I just need to change the script, or if I, you know, if somebody tells me about uh, a hidden gem up the street that I need to see, um, you know, there's just there's so much pleasure to be derived uh, from from those travels. Or maybe it's a case of plunking down in one town for a week and ex- exploring a cluster getting, you know, spending time with friends in a, in a particular locale or uh, just getting to know one or two courses uh, exceptionally well. Um, a couple of years ago, I went out to Cornwall uh, and spent uh, a few days playing around it at, uh, well, Cornwall and Devon and uh, playing uh, Royal North Devon and Saunton and St. Anadoc and thinking and this was not a rushed trip. It was my introduction to these courses, but thinking I would love to just spend a week or two and just get a rental and just play St. Anadoc 15 times and, you know, go deep on that particular experience. Um, But yeah, I couldn't agree more. Lynx golf, we need it. (laughs) We need to get back to it. So chicken soup for the soul, right? Absolutely. Well, um, we're at almost the 90 minute mark, and we should uh, probably uh, conclude on something of a bittersweet note. Um, as we uh, wrap up 2020, uh, we also will be saying goodbye to David at the end of this year. Um, he's He'll be pursuing uh, some new opportunities. Um, I just wanted to, before uh, David goes into that, um, I wanted to express my uh, sincere appreciation uh for um for you as a friend as a golfer as a historian um i think you bring or have brought such an amazing perspective to the golf week raider program uh over the past three years and i've just i've enjoyed uh every minute of working with you and i wish you all the best um for everything that you do going forward so thanks david well
2: my pleasure thank you so much well jay i didn't want to cut you off go ahead (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, well, I, I was just going to echo what Tom said. It's It's been uh, uh, a real pleasure getting to know you. I, obviously, we knew each other prior to this a little bit, but uh, the last couple of years has been so much fun for me to to, to learn from you and to get to share some different experiences. Um, your background and, and what you bring to the table uh, uh, can't be understated, and, and we just uh, uh, appreciate all that you've done and, and, and the way in which you've done it. And so, um uh just wanted to thank you for all of that and wish you the very best. Uh I know you've got some really exciting things on the on the horizon and, and we just couldn't be happier for you and, and, and what's in store. So um, thank you so much, congratulations and, and, and best wishes.
2: Well, thank you both for saying those very, very nice things. It's been great fun for me. I think when Golf Week came along and the opportunity to be involved came along, it was great right at one of those uh, zero birthdays in your life. And, and uh, there was a new itch that I wanted to scratch, which is to learn more about the game and architecture and to develop my education and to understand how our system works and to meet great people and to go to great places. And that's all that's all happened. And I'm, um, I'm very appreciative for it. And I hope we've left the program in a good position and, and a better one. And I know it will continue to go from strength to strength with you all leading it. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been great fun.
0: Great. Well, yeah, thanks David and all the best to you going forward. Um, and thanks to, uh, all the Raiders who have, uh, listened to this uh, 90 minute Mark in the podcast. It's, uh, you know, we, we have all, we all really enjoy this. Obviously it's a, it's a great gig. It's a, it's a great opportunity to, um, indulge in our passion for golf travel and golf architecture. Um, and even in this, uh, even in this difficult year of 2020, um, the fact that we were able to continue doing that uh, was really a meaningful thing. So uh, with that in mind, uh, happy new year, everyone. And here's to a wonderful, healthy and golf-filled 2021. Fairways and greens, everyone.